Entrepreneurs often have similar characteristics. Energy, passion, vision. But why do some soar to success while others struggle to climb? Less than 2% of women-owned businesses in North America ever achieve a million dollars a year in annual revenue. Why is that? And how do we dramatically increase that number? Welcome to Breakthrough with your host, Sarah Roach-Lewis. Sarah offers conversations with the ambitious women entrepreneurs in that 2% to help you break through. Now, here is Sarah Roach-Lewis. Well, hello, ambitious one. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Breakthrough. Perhaps you have a bold ambition or an emerging desire to hit the million-dollar mark and beyond in your business. You may be well on your way or just starting out. Regardless, this show is for you. I want to welcome Dr. Suzanne Simpson to the show today. Dr. Simpson is the President, Chief Executive Officer, and Founder of Human Resource Systems Group, a global company based in Ottawa, Canada. Suzanne has over four decades of experience providing competency-based talent management services, training, and products to organizations worldwide. Welcome to Breakthrough, Suzanne. Thank you. Well, I am so honored that you're joining us here today um, to be able to talk about the work that you do and your entrepreneurial journey. I want to start first by saying congratulations, HRSG celebrated 30 years in business last year. You have so much experience to offer. I really look forward to digging into our conversation. Thank you. I look forward to having the conversation. (laughs) Before we get too far down that path of our conversation, can you tell me just a little bit more about what you do at HRSG? Okay. Um, Actually, what we offer are solutions for our clients to help them manage their people better, um, more strategically, and to contribute to bottom line and top line performance um, for their companies. And so what are some of the ways that you do that? Okay, so what we do is specialize in the field of competency-based talent management. And competencies are those skills and capabilities employees bring to the workplace that make an excellent workforce and allow the company to um, have good performance in the, in the short and the long term. So we deal with that not as an administrative perspective for managing people, but more from a strategic perspective. What's going to make the difference? Uh, about people in the workforce that contribute to the short and the long-term success of companies and organizations. So that's where we focus. Uh, In order to do that, we provide um, a series of options. So we we, uh, help employees in terms of uh, a software a tool that helps them managing their people in terms of the competencies and skill sets needed by the organization. We provide training uh, to help them through this process of managing their people. Um, We provide services if needed um, in order for them to be able to implement a lot of the ideas and the concepts that we have uh, in place for managing talent. Hmm. And what's the typical size of your client? Uh, the clients can range anywhere from a little, let's say, 
um, smaller organizations might be in the range of say 100 employees because at that point you have a lot of people you have to have the tools and resources to manage them effectively but we've dealt with very very large global organizations as well so we've got blue chip organizations on our roster that everybody would recognize if I said their names so uh, you know and we've actually managed to develop our um, a client base where we were typically when we started out we were working in just the Ottawa market and now we're heavily into the entire North American market and we've actually delivered a lot of projects over in the Gulf region of the Middle East so we have clients right now in Saudi Arabia as an example so we have people that go over there and provide them with uh, what they need in terms of their solutions the software and the services etc amazing so before we actually, let's just go there right now. What were some of the things when you think about that some of these times in your business when you've had to level up, when you've gone to that next level, what were some of the key strategic decisions that you made along the way? Hmm. That's an interesting one. Um, we actually started off as a services firm. So in other words, we didn't have software uh, or content in the area of competencies um, to provide our clients. But over the years, what happened was our clients actually started to ask for those things, software that helped them do what we were recommending, uh, the content needed to provide uh, a competency-based talent management solution. So um, eventually what happened was the company evolved. It evolved to the point where we were offering more than just a straight professional services. We were offering content. We were working at the national level. We were asked to come in and do um, competency-based talent management solutions for whole sectors. So as an example, right now one of our um, sectors that we work heavily in is agriculture. We developed the standards for policing across Canada in terms of the competency requirements. We've done all those kinds of things. And, and it's been a gradual process. It's been, you know, we build up the brand, build up the knowledge, build up the reference base. And, and if you deliver well, your clients will recommend you to other clients. And that's what's happening actually in the Middle East right now. Um, we have clients recommending us to other clients in Saudi Arabia as an example. So um, I don't know whether I've answered your question. Maybe you can no. use a follow-up question and, and make sure I've, I've, I've communicated it well to you. Sure. I know I think that is a good answer. So tell me then, when you're looking at going to different cultures, like, uh, you know, going to that North American market, and then where you are now in the Middle East, what are some of the considerations that you have to make um, when you're doing the kind of work that you're doing globally? Okay, well, first of all, you have to be respectful of different cultures. Obviously, it's, you know, not everybody thinks or acts the way we do. And in Canada, uh, I think we have a very progressive society, by the way. I think we're very good that way. Um, so you have to take into consideration, you know, some of the extreme differences you might observe. 
let's take Saudi Arabia as an example. Like Saudi Arabia is relatively recent that women were given many more liberties like driving and not having to travel with a male relative and getting permission on certain sorts of things. They're, they're moving the needle. But at the same time, we have to respect when we're going over there that we're, our company has, is, uh, has a lot of women. So um, it's a matter of balancing how we approach business with how they would approach society and business. And uh, so it's tricky. It can be tricky. But at the same time, if you're re very respectful, they'll be respectful of you as well. And, and um, there's learning along the way. There's, there's certain kinds of protocols and things you might not do there that you would do here. But those are probably minor. It's, 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 if, they, if you do good work, they will respect you. Mm. Well, you know, some things are universal, right? So, Suzanne, tell me a little bit about your entrepreneurial journey. Um, were you always wanting to be an entrepreneur when you started out? <laughs> That's a very good question. Uh, when I started out, um, let, let me give you a little bit of my background. Okay, I'm an, a psychologist by training. and in, in fact, I specialize in industrial psychology. Um, but that's not how I necessarily started out. I, I was actually working in clinical psychology when I started. And my um, training to start with was not in the industrial field. It was more in neuroscience. But I discovered this area through um, working uh, with the military um, some years ago and realized that, wow, there's a lot to be um, value to be delivered if you're looking at whole systems for managing people or that sort of thing. So I thought, oh, this is very interesting. I want to do this. And uh, so I, I did a bit of a left turn in my education, in my career, and started to work in the field of, of people and managing people in the workplace. And I went um, I did some work with the military. I did some work for our post office. And then at that point, I decided, well, I'd like to launch into um, a sole proprietor business for myself. And I took that big step. I had never done this before. I did come from a bit of an entrepreneurial background. My family had a business, but um, I really didn't um, start out with that in mind. And um, then I took that leap because it was a leap of faith, basically. Uh, I started out as the only person in my business and gradually grew it from there. Um, and I've never really looked back. Um, I've enjoyed the journey. I find owning your own business very uh, liberating. It can be absolutely scary at times. And it's difficult, especially if um, it's a women-owned and women-operated business. I think sometimes there are more challenges for women uh, than there are for men who launch uh, their own businesses. And especially at the time 30 years ago when I did it. Absolutely. So when you, what were some of those challenges that you faced 30 years ago when you started out? Um, I, I think being a woman, sometimes, uh, you know, when compared with men who run their own businesses, um, Maybe you had to prove yourself a little bit more. Um, my client base was very, very good. Um, they respected what I did at the time. 
and I was able to grow it because of that respect and the referrals that I got over time. Um, another aspect is when you get to a certain size of your company and for example, you need some financial support or help. It's sometimes much more difficult for women to get that financial support and help that they need from their banks, from investors, etc. So um, the challenges are there. I think they're still there. Um, it, it's hard to remain a women women owned business, uh, majority owned business, if you're seeking funding, especially in the area of equity funding and. Um, so in a, in a sense, you're giving a piece of your company away when you, you know, sell part of it for equity. And as you do that, you find that often those investors are men. So what they're doing is they're taking a piece of your business and reducing it in terms of the women-owned portion of it. Now, that doesn't sound terrible, but it, it, it is a problem if you um, – get into policy with regard to uh, how your company is um, promoted and developed by the government, etc. Uh, so as an example, right now in the U.S., you get special points if you're a women-owned business, but that means a majority, more than 50%. So you're, in a sense, there's a bit of systemic discrimination going on here because if you need money to grow your business, and the predominant investors are men, you're giving away a piece of your company, so therefore you can't take advantage of some of those extra perks of having a woman-owned business. I'm making myself clear on this one? A hundred percent. And I think it is a really interesting challenge um, and something that I think it's really important for people to be aware of, that there are, particularly in the U.S., um, and that there's a little bit of that in Canada, that there are... Um, policies and programs that you can take part of. And uh, this is a really good cautionary tale for people who are looking at investors that it's going to be really important to maintain at least 50% of the ownership of your business. Yeah, that's true. Because what we did is we went after some, some funding in the, say I'd say 2007-2008 timeframe. What it actually did is pushed us in the reverse direction where less than 50% were owned by, of the business was owned by women, okay? Mm -hmm. So that's a cautionary tale for sure. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, the, the equity investors out there, there's not a lot of them who are actually women. About 3%, I believe, yeah. in, in available to you. Yeah. Yeah. It's certainly, I mean, you know, women in investing, uh, it is absolutely on fire right now as a hot topic, but we're talking about in the last, you know, 12 to 18 months. Uh, so we've got some, we certainly have a ways to go to get caught up in terms of equity investment for sure. Um, so how, were you able to, what would you say you kind of went backwards a little bit before you went forward again? Was that something that you were able to turn around um, in terms of addressing that, that, um, that portion of your business owned by women? Or is that something that you've just worked around? I, I still, we still have to address it. Mm -hmm. Okay, so um, there are ways that we can do that, of course, when we're going out for further investment, but, um, you know, go for debt investment, for example, debt versus equity in your company, and debt, you're not giving away a piece, but equity you are, 
um, that's one way of dealing with it. The another way of dealing with it is go right after women investors, and I think there's more action in the market in that regard now than there was when we were going for investment in the 2007-2008 timeframe. So, oh. yeah. No, absolutely. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Yeah, that's okay. Um, so talking a little bit then about that, that funding piece, what are some of the other um, challenges or benefits that you explored? Like how did you make that decision that I'm going to make that leap and look for equity investment in the company? <laughs> if I'd known everything I know now, I might not have, <laughs> might not have done it quite that way. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> All right. We talked about some of those lumps and bumps that you experience as a woman. Um, you know, I, I think it was just, I didn't understand at the time what it would mean and necessarily. And um, many of the policies that have come out about women-owned businesses have come out since that time frame. Okay. So we've had different other funding options. BDC has been a very good um, funding vehicle for us. We're on our third um, BDC debt-based uh, funding, uh, so and they've been very kind to us. In other words, we've gone through some lumps and bumps financially, and and um, they've been considerate of our business and been flexible in how they approached us while still being you know responsible as a bank. Um, so I would say they're very good. Okay, and. Uh, um, those are the two main sources, debt and the, and the equity-based funding. Sure. And we work hard at keeping good relationships with our banks and uh, our funding groups as well. Such a critical relationship, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Listen, Suzanne, I'm going to take this moment right now for us to go to break. And when I come back, I will continue our conversation with Dr. Simpson. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Are you ready to grow your business to the next level? Check out SRL Solutions for more information on training, coaching, and lots of resources for building your business sustainably and profitably. As a partner who helps you strategize and plan, Sarah Roach Lewis helps you turn your vision into reality. She helps you identify the right area of focus at the right time. Visit srl.solutions to find out more and for a free consultation. That's srl.solutions. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Breakthrough with Sarah Roach-Lewis. To reach Sarah or her guest on today's program, please send an email to sarah at srl.solutions. Again, that's sarah at srl.solutions. Now, back to this week's episode of Breakthrough. Welcome back to Breakthrough. My name is Sarah Roach-Lewis, and I'm here with Dr. Suzanne Simpson. Suzanne, before the break, uh, you had just talked a little bit about some of the lumps and bumps along the way. So 30 years in business. Tell us about some of those lumps and bumps that you've experienced and how you ride those waves. Okay. Um, so some of the lumps and bumps, okay? I, I talked before about getting a... Um, 
an equity investment from shareholders uh, around the 2007-2008 timeframe. Um, what that did is basically we allowed people to come into the company for reasonably small amounts of equity. Um, so it actually increased the number of shareholders significantly because a number of them came in with a small shareholding. Okay. However, when you bring shareholders on board, they are going to be armchair CEOs. In other words, they have all the answers in many cases, and many of them don't have a background in your particular area of expertise. And so as a result, you know, they'll be wanting to come in and look at your books closely. They're going to ask questions. They're going to think, well, maybe you made the wrong decisions. Maybe you sh there should be another CEO. Uh, and that's, we've gone through a series of, of, of events like that where, you know, your, your knowledge, your capability as a CEO may, is, is being questioned. And, it, and it, it's a particular circumstance that we ran into because we did a large number of shareholders at very low values. So they came in, they thought they had all the answers in many cases, and that we didn't know what we were doing if we were going through a little bit of a financial issue at the time. And, you know, most businesses, you go through some ups and downs. There'll be really good years and more difficult years. For the most part, the company has grown successively over the years, so overall, we've done well. But you do have these armchair investors who are, you know, trying to advise you or tell you what to do, or in some cases decide that maybe you don't know what the heck you're doing, and they're going to replace you. <laughs> that actually happened. <laughs> so um, I think it's much better now. I've managed those relationships well, but it's a cautionary note for people that bring in investors. And whether they hold a larger chunk of your company or very, very small pieces like, um, like happened in our situation. So that's, that's a major challenge for us uh, from yeah. time to time. And it's better now, by the yeah. way. But that, you know, it's hard. It, it must have been a difficult pill to swallow to have people questioning whether you should be the CEO of the company that you founded. It was hard. Absolutely. It was difficult. So it has to, you have to have guts like you can't believe. If <laughs> No, you have to have a sense of self-esteem, a self-confidence. You have to say to yourself, I do know what I'm doing. Uh, you know, they've never run my business before. They're doing it from, you know, looking at your financial statements for that year. Um, and, and just, you know, stay the course. Um, you have to have a good team around you. Um, they have to be, you know, where you don't have necessarily all the skill sets needed and, and no one's perfect. I don't have everything I need to deliver. You have to surround yourself with people who can compliment you and can help you drive your business forward. That's for sure. Um, and it will get difficult. And I think what you need to do is get some good mentors Get some people around you that can be supportive. Um, work with other women. I, I belong to the Women's Presidents Organization. They're very supportive um, and other organizations like that. I take advantage of anything that comes along that can help me learn and develop. 
because my background is industrial psychology. I'm not a financial officer. You know, I haven't gone to MBA, I haven't gone an MBA, etc. So I have to complement what I know with the skills and capabilities of other people around me. So that I would recommend to anybody. You cannot be a what should I a sole pillar standing out there in the wind all by yourself. You just can't. Um, and I've benefited as well because my husband is extremely supportive of my partner. And, um, you know, I can work with him and talk through issues and challenges as they come up. And so that's been helpful as well. So That is incredibly helpful, I think. And, you know, there's certainly some common themes among women who've achieved, you know, great success in their business. And having that support at home is certainly one of them. Suzanne, when you talk about that, I just want to circle back to that again. So, you know, relationships are important. And how do you maintain and build relationships that have this tension in them when, you know, you've, you've got these investors who have their own opinions about how things should be run, and you know that these are important uh, relationships, and yet there, there is this tension. How are you able to manage those relationships and build them? Um, I think communication is important. Um, we have, obviously, need to have an annual general meeting at which, you know, I, I make talk about the business and talk about the challenges and that sort of thing. Um, I have uh, also um, kept up relationships through communication, emails and updates and, you know, letting people know our successes, what's been happening in the company, that sort of thing. So they don't feel that we're just, they hear from us once a year. So I try to do that. Maybe not as well as I should. I, from time to time, I think, oh, my goodness, I haven't got out lately with some information. But um, I, I try to keep people informed. And I try to keep them engaged in the sense of being proud. Proud of what we've actually accomplished. I mean, you think about it a little bit. It's For a Canadian-based company, we've done extremely well. Not only that, but we're a Canadian-based women-run company that has done extremely well. So I think we need to be uh, proud of that. And um, we have to give recognition where recognition is due. Um, we've been very much supported through um, the National Research Council and um, IRAP grants. Um, they've been helpful. Our business, uh, BDC, has been helpful along the way. They all want to help you. And I think you just have to reach out and, and ask for that help if you need it. Amazing. Suzanne, one of the things that I'm so curious about is you have this, uh, you know, you started out as a service-based business, and along the way, you decided to bring technology and innovation um, into the business. What was that transition like, and, and what inspired that shift? Um, actually, our clients inspired that shift. Okay, some of our clients, um, I would say around late, in, you know, 1995 and on, started to ask for some of the things that um, we were recommending, but as a software tool. 
So the one of our earliest clients was a software human resource council, which is now uh, information communication technology council. They were saying, okay, what can we do with this in order to inspire and develop talent in the IT and software sector? The National Research Council was one of our earliest clients, and they said, oh, can you develop a learning tool or a learning system that helps manage our talent more effectively? So we ended up creating some one-offs um, to meet specific client needs. And then we decided, okay, well, there's no point in just creating these one-off customized solutions. Why don't we create something that is really a base for everything that we say to our clients to do in terms of managing their talent. So it evolved from a customized solution to a, um, um, a general solution that could be used for a lot of different uh, companies. And then we move from there to a software as a service company. Um, and that occurred very, very early on. That's what uh, caused the um, us to go out and get an equity investment around the 2007-2008 timeframe. And hardly anybody was doing that at the time. So we were sort of a bit of a pathfinder from that point of view. And then we've evolved the, the, the solution year over year um, uh, to meet our client needs. And we're, we've kept our ear to the ground and asked our clients what they want, what they need, how it should be managed, and, uh, et cetera. So the software solution has basically now become software as a service and has, has evolved over time and will continue to evolve um, as a service. So software as a service, just for that, that language, is a monthly recurring charge. So we use software as a service all the time. Um, and, and this is one that, that you're using. So that's really interesting. Um, when you're looking at, at that software as a service and, you know, kind of making, well, actually going back to that technology, going back to these, you know, beginning years when you're on your own, what was that first, uh, what did you first hire for, Suzanne? Okay. All right. So when I wasn't on my own for very long, actually, <laughs> uh, right at the beginning, and we started in 1989, and I hired somebody to work with a company almost within the year. So that grew to about two people after that, and then three after that, and we just kept growing the company from there. So now we have, um, at our highest, we've been a, a little over 60, we've recently re-engineered our workforce. We're now, beef, I would say, a little over 30 regular full-time employees, but we use a lot of contractors to deliver our services. So that helps us be flexible in how we, um, how we actually can bid on work and do the work because we use the contractors based on their specialized knowledge and skill set. So we think about doubling our workforce or more basically based on that. So when um, all the people that we touch were probably 60, 70, 80 people, uh, some of whom are employees and some of whom are contractors. Amazing. That is quite, uh, uh, you know, quite a beautiful growth um, over that time. So when we go back to, um, you know, this, this innovation piece, I do want to just say congratulations. Uh, you were awarded Built in Canada's Innovation Award um, for your, 
for your competency core software in 2018 and you won an excellence in technology award the same year and the um, Sarah Kirk Award for Women in Technology from the Canadian Advanced Technology Alliance um, and the Enterprising Woman of the Year. Um, so all of that was really based around this transition to this particular build out of that technology. Um, basically, yeah, because um, I think you're, you can scale a business or on the professional services side, but every time you increase the volume of business, there's an you know a commensurate level of labor that has to go into it, right? So very early on, we understood that selling the software, once you have the software, you can build it by volume and increase the margin significantly in that way. So we deliberately decided to move more towards the software side of the equation and less towards the professional services, but it doesn't mean we don't deliver those services. We deliver a high-end strategic solution, and many organizations don't necessarily know how to do that. So in that case, what we can offer is a full solution, the software and the services that they need to know how to do do this effectively in their workforce. We can provide training and we can also provide content as well. So this software that we provide is like um, uses the competencies as a building block or foundational piece. So if you think of your job as needing a certain kind of competency or skill set needed, what is it that what does it take to perform effectively and how are we going to match people against that? So those competencies become the content, okay? So you think about things that are general in nature, such as your analytical skills, maybe your communication skills, your strategic thinking, you know, those sorts of things. You can have all those. But we also deliver content in the technical and professional areas. So I alluded to the fact that we deal with agriculture and policing and major sectors in Canada. In each of those cases, we were able to build up a repertoire of content that related to that particular professional area or sector. So think about policing as an example. Okay, policing does take skills that are general in nature, your analytical skills, your communication skills, your ability to get along with others, but in addition, it takes specialized skills. So we helped the uh, policing across Canada as an example in identifying what are those specialized skills. So we got into things like blood splatter analysis and investigative skills and you name it, we got into it. Yeah, so that's only an example. So financing is another area, financial and banking sectors. What does it take to be able to perform in those? It's not only those general skills, but those very specialized skills. So as a result of all this work that we've done over the years with our clients and sectors across Canada, we have a huge database of competencies that are become the foundational building blocks for doing talent management in the workplace. So that's something we've built up over the years. And more recently, we have done work in the area of machine learning and artificial intelligence. Mm -hmm. So if we have lists of skill, lists of responsibilities for a job, what are the competencies that might be associated with that? So we've done a lot of work to teach the machine how to do this and identify what potential competencies could be required in that particular job with those particular duties or responsibilities. 
So we have, and you know what? I don't take any, um, other than, you know, thinking these things through. I'm not a coder. I'm not an engineer. <laughs> but I know what clients need in terms of how to, how to manage people in the workplace. Fair enough. So let's just have an imagination session that there's someone or some people listening to this show right now, and they have a service-based business, and they want to build out this technology piece. They want to take all of this knowledge that they have and translate it in the same way that you did. What's the first step they should take? Ask your clients what they need. It sounds like a simple little statement, but... You know, what would make your life easier? What, what would make uh, it cost effective for you to, to buy something like this? What would be the return on investment for you? So if it takes a lot of labor out of what you're doing, if it uh, propels you forward in terms of getting something, um, well, in this case, if you're an HR professional and, and you're being asked by the CEO, I want you to be more strategic. I want you to contribute to the bottom line. How would you do it? You know, what is it that you need to put in place? So there's certain kinds of things that you're doing that maybe need to be automated, that need to be delivered through a solution just to make your life a lot easier. So that's step number one. Um, number two, once you understand what those requirements are, obviously it, ha it takes a time, a framework, a roadmap for doing it. Make sure you've got the people in place who can actually deliver. And give them a working environment that's going to be challenging and interesting for them to work in. You know, so I think that's what we've done at HRSG. It's very interesting. You know, we've got interesting challenges that have to be met. And they're all very keen to do their job and to do it well. Um, so give them that opportunity and um, go from there. That is great advice. And with that advice, I'm going to take us to commercial and we'll be right back. Voice America is available on your Google connected device. Okay, Google, play Turning Hard Times into Good Times podcast on iHeartRadio. Try it today. Are you ready to grow your business to the next level? Check out SRL Solutions for more information on training, coaching, and lots of resources for building your business sustainably and profitably. As a partner who helps you strategize and plan, Sarah Roach-Lewis helps you turn your vision into reality. She helps you identify the right area of focus at the right time. Visit srl.solutions to find out more and for a free consultation. That's srl.solutions. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Breakthrough with Sarah Roach-Lewis. To reach Sarah or her guest on today's program, please send an email to sarah at srl.solutions. Again, that's sarah at srl.solutions. Now, back to this week's episode of Breakthrough. Welcome back to Breakthrough. My name is Sarah Roach-Lewis, and I'm here with Dr. Suzanne Simpson. Suzanne, uh, tell me about a time that you experienced failure in your business. What did you do, and how did it show up as a win later on? Okay. Okay, I'm going to give you one example. It's relatively recent. 
Okay. And, and it's something I think that people have to think about what would happen if, because it happened. Uh, <laughs> I uh, went into the washroom in our office building in uh, January of 2016. And there was soap all over the floor. And I did not see it. I slipped and fell and hit my head so hard. I thought when I was going down, this may be it. And um, so um, why I'm talking about this is because immediately I was not able to function properly in my role because of a concussion. And um, I needed to, and I didn't have time to find somebody else. Now, I didn't go through an executive search to find somebody. There was somebody in the org organization at the time who was doing an assessment of um, how our product side of the company was working. He happened to be an experienced entrepreneur running his own businesses, etc. But I fell. I had a concussion. I could not function. He was the natural choice for me to come in and, and, and like fill in. And it actually took me quite a long time to recover. I wasn't able to focus on a daily basis. I did not have a severe a concussion as some have had. But when you're a CEO, your thought, you have to have, your mental faculties all have to be there. So um, what did I learn out of this? Well, first of all, I think you better have people right be in your company or your organization or a successor list, et cetera, who are fully capable of picking up the ball if they need to, okay? Because as a result of this, this individual was fine in the software sector, et cetera, but he did not necessarily fully understand our space. And, you know, there were he managed the company in a sense differently from how I managed it. So as a consequence, we ended up, you know, having going through some difficult times. And um, so that would be a lesson I, I would pass on to anybody. Be, if you get to a point where you, you can't function, what would happen if you, you weren't there? What would happen if? And have a backup plan because it didn't necessarily work for me. Nobody thinks they're going to go and fall and slip on the soap in the bathroom. It's <laughs> basically, <laughs> I don't know if that's a point of failure, but it was certainly a challenging time. And it's taken us a bit of time just basically to recover from that. It's now 2020, right? We are at 2020. <laughs> that was three or four years ago. And, uh, you, you know, it's, it's taken some time to recover from that. So that's, a, that's an example. Have a backup plan for yourself. Uh, make sure your company can survive even for a short time without you. Um, that's a lesson learned. Been a few other failure, failure points along the way, but they've not have been quite as dramatic as that one. <laughs> and uh, so I'll leave it at that for now. Yeah, no, fair enough. That is, that is a really good point. I appreciate that. Suzanne, you are less than 2% of women who have achieved seven figures and beyond in your business. Um, so congratulations. We don't always stop to reflect on that. And I'm curious... How do you celebrate your wins? Um, well, we have an, a nice culture in our company. We're very complimentary to each other. So when somebody is 
has, well, somebody walked in today and said, I think I've got over a $100,000 contract over in Saudi Arabia. And I said, yay! You know, I mean, that, that we celebrate. We do little, little celebrations along the way all the time. And if it's, you know, significant, we ring the, we have a school bell, we ring. <laughs> and we bring everybody together and everybody learns about it. You know, we still try to keep that culture of like, yay, we've, we've done really well. And, uh, and uh, you know, we try to get the messages out too otherwise uh, through our networks and our little newsletters and things like that. When you think about your 30 years and more than that in business, what are some of the things that you do differently than when you started out? And what are the things that are tried and true that you still do regardless of how much time has passed? Okay, when you start out on your own, you're in control of everything, right? Okay. And um, so, you know, you have to be, uh, you have to learn how to give up, in a sense. Control without being overly controlling. And, and that's a... Uh, something that it you know for me was hard because I I'm told from time to time I can be controlling um, <laughs> it comes out of natural need to be successful in your business but it's it's important to give people the autonomy that they need but it's still accountable to to the organization and to success that's hard really hard um, what else um, tracking um, Metrics are important. Knowing where you are, um, how are you achieving? What are your goals? How do you? How are you measuring yourself against those goals? And and knowing when you're improving and not improving. So therefore, you know, being able to predict reasonably in advance if we have to take cor a corrective course of action, um, that's important as well. Um, it becomes uh, less of an issue when you start out as a say a sole proprietor, but as you move forward. Um, you have to build those metrics in. You have to build your vision into the company or what is it that you're trying to get to? Um, and how will we move from here to there? Um, that's another thing um, I've learned over time. Yeah, and I think it's uh, particularly as you start to build out and have staff, um, that's, you know, having such a clear focus and a clear vision, a, a clear understanding of what your own vision is is the only way that you can communicate that to the other people who you're hiring. Well, I also think they have, they need to feel they can feed into that process, that they have a say in what's happening. You know, that, you know, where are we going? What are we going to look like three years from now, five years from now? How, how are we going to get from here to there? So people need to feel that they've got ownership in that as well. And how are you able to do that within your own business? Uh, well, number one, I'm not perfect. Um, so um, I think we can always improve in that area. Um, we will be going through an annual um, planning cycle uh, soon. Uh, we will be engaging everybody in the company in that cycle. Um, so, um, getting people to understand what's the big picture, they can see it through that process and then they can take that pe their piece of the puzzle and say, I have to deliver on that. Um, so planning is very important and engaging people in that process is also very important. Mm -hmm. Yeah, fair enough. 
what would you say to women, um, you know, with all of your experience, what would you say to women who want to take their business to that next level, um, that they are, are ready to go, they're ready to move, but they're just not sure what the steps are or what they need to do in order to, to go to that next level? Okay, so let me start by saying there's nothing wrong with taking it and keeping it at the level that you're comfortable with, okay? Number one. Um, number two, I, I think if they want to take it to the next level and they want to move forward, they say, um, let's say we want to grow 20% per year, what's it going to take? Um, surround yourself with good people whether it's mentors, advisors, people that work in the company with you, um, et cetera. Support them and they will support you um, would be some advice that I would give. Be kind. People need a little bit of kindness from time to time uh, and um, recognition. Mm. So I don't know whether I've completely answered your question, but... Well, I think you've done a, a very good job, and I'll ask you another companion question. How's that? Okay. What do you wish you knew when you started out that you know now? Hmm. That's a difficult one. If I'd only known question. Um, well, I don't know. Uh, it might be, in my case, I, I probably needed a little bit more background in business management and financial management. If I'd known more at the outset, um, that might have helped. Um, if I'd known about some of the scary stuff, I might not have done it. <laughs> I just took for granted I could be successful. And I, uh, I just launched. Um, like I say to some people, I stepped in the abyss of entrepreneurship, and it's an abyss. You don't necessarily know everything, but I think the the key point here is, you know, have enough confidence in yourself that you can get, you know, that you can get through it. That you're good at what you do, and you keep complimenting yourself at that you're good at what you do because people around you may not always do that. <laughs> so do it for yourself okay I really love that you just had you know what a great thing that you just assumed that you were going to be successful and even though there were bumps and lumps along the way um, you continued with that assumption and were and are <laughs> thank you <laughs> from time to time it always hasn't felt like that but for the most part <laughs> Well, it's, you know, we all have those moments, right? Um, it, you know, it's interesting. You had asked me on the break if there were other questions um, that, that I wanted to ask you. And last week I did a show, or a couple weeks ago, I did a show um, where I had listener questions. And then I, I received some more after that. And so one question that came in from a listener, which I think is an interesting question, is um, what did you have to sacrifice to be successful in business? Mm. Um, being in business can take a toll on yourself and your family, okay? Sometimes it means working incredibly long hours to achieve results for your clients and etc. Um, I remember when my daughter was very young, 
and we were just starting the business. And uh, like a lot of moms, you know, you bring them, your children into work and while you're working, they're doing something. So she decided she would create a little book for me. And it was heart, oh, it, it, it hurt <laughs> because mommy is at the office all the time. Mommy does this all the time. Oh. Oh, and it felt so awful. You know, it, it really did. On the other hand, you know, my daughter is now 37. And she runs her own business. And she's going through a lot of the same challenges that I went through. And she's strong. And she has a, a sense of herself and a sense of perspective on what she can do. So um, maybe it's because she learned a little bit from looking at mom. I don't know. It was uncomfortable going through those uh, times when you felt maybe I wasn't spending enough time with my daughter. But um, we're the best of friends now, and she has her own business, and she's doing very well. So That is amazing. And I think that story um, probably is helping some folks listening feel just a little bit better. Suzanne, what is on the horizon for you? What is your bold vision for um, HRSG and, and you? Um, we have very big plans in place now. Um, we want to grow the company exponentially. Um, we think we have a great product to, to offer in terms of our software and our content and associated supportive services. And um, we're exploring ways to do that quicker, better, faster, uh, make us um, an international, not just a national success, an international success. That is amazing. Um, as we start to wrap up, I, um, I do want to ask you um, one last thing, and that is where, uh, where can people learn more about what you do? Are there particular places where you prefer to hang out on social media? Um, I can give you some um, information, uh, social media, contact points, etc. We do put out blogs. I would encourage anybody who's interested in uh, finding out more about HRSG is simply go to our website, hrsg.ca. So we publish regular blogs. We put out information on our services and our solutions, etc. So I think that's a good starting point. And then once you get there, you'll find all kinds of information where people can learn more about the company and what we're doing, the latest information, blogs, etc. Well, Susan, I do want to say thank you so much for your time. As um, this show is airing the day after International Women's Day, I was so excited that we're able to have this conversation um, because I do think it is so important uh, that we are not only looking to looking forward, but also having women like you who've been around for three decades, who've seen a lot in business, and who are willing to be generous mentors and share that experience with the rest of us. So I really do appreciate your time. That was a lot of fun. Thank you. And uh, before we leave today, I do also want to say thank you to um, the people who have left reviews on iTunes for uh, my show. It really means a lot and it helps more people find the show. So if you've enjoyed this episode um, or the show in general, please take a minute to leave a review and rating on iTunes. You can also subscribe on all of the different places where you find your podcast, whether that's iTunes or Spotify or 
all of the other places. Um, and I did just mention that it was, yesterday was International Women's Day. And I want to direct you and encourage you to go and take a look at my website. I have a free training called 90 for 90. I'd say it's in celebration of, 90, of uh, International Women's Day, but really, I celebrate and want to support women to grow their businesses bigger than they imagine possible every single day. So it's always there, but give it to yourself as a gift for International Women's Day. What this uh, training will do is it will give you 90, you take 90 minutes to plan out the next 90 days in your business. We need to have that big picture vision for where you're going with your business, but at the end of the day, um, it, we, we, we have strategy for the year and a plan for 90 days, and then we're going to drill that right down into what are you doing in the next two weeks to make sure that you are hitting your goals. Um, and so go take a look at that. I want to interview you on this show one day, and no matter where you are right now, you get to sing seven figures one quarter at a time. So again, Suzanne, thank you so much for your time. And... Uh, my name is Sarah Roach-Lewis, and we will see you next week on Breakthrough. Thank you for tuning in to Breakthrough. Be sure to join Sarah Roach-Lewis again with another inspiring interview next Monday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time and 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until we speak again, have a great week.